Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. That as well. Amen. This morning, if you'll turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel chapter number 19, 2 Samuel chapter number 19. Amen. And we'll read a few verses of Scripture starting with verse number 24. Starting with verse number 24. The Bible states these words, And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king and had neither dressed his feet trimmed his beard nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came again in peace it came to pass when he was come to Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said unto him wherefore wentest not thou with me Mephibosheth and he answered my lord O king my my servant deceived me for Thy servant said, I will saddle me an ass that I may ride thereon and go to the king because thy servant is lame. And he has slandered thy servant unto my lord the king, but my lord the king is as an angel of God. Do therefore what is good in thine eyes. For all of my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king. Yet didst thou set thy servant among them that did eat at thine own table. What right therefore have I yet to cry any more unto the king? And the king said unto him, Why speakest thou any more of thy matters? I have said, Thou and Ziba divide the land. And Mephibosheth said unto the king, Yea, let him take all, for as much as my lord the king is come again in peace unto his own house amen for a little space of time here today I'd like to minister to us this morning this the Lord is my portion the Lord is my portion can you say that with me the Lord is my portion hallelujah let's go to the Lord in prayer father I love you Jesus help us God in the next Lord moments of time here on this Sunday morning God, as we would engage our hearts and our minds, God, and allow your word to be the centerpiece of our lives. I pray, oh Lord, today, God, that you would speak through your word. God, let heaven touch us, Lord, anew and afresh. I pray, God, anoint my mind and my lips. God, use me as you would desire. Mark every bit of air from me. But God, even more importantly, God, anoint, God, those that sit in the audience. That there be a ebb and a flow, God, from the pulpit to the pew, Lord Jesus, concerning your word. God, we'll thank you and we'll praise you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. The church say amen. 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 You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord is my portion. Look at your neighbor and tell them that. The Lord is my portion. In 1894, in Brooktondale, New York, Rhea F. Miller was born to her parents, Martin and Bertha Ross. Rhea's mother was a Christian, but her father was an alcoholic who wanted nothing to do with church, nothing to do with religion. Bertha, however, faithfully prayed for her husband very diligently, and he eventually was converted and even became a pastor. Miller family attended Martin's church where their son Howard met Rhea, fell in love and married. As the story goes, one day Rhea was walking several years later through a field near near her home around the year of 1922, and she began to reflect on her father's testimony of having once been an alcoholic and now delivered from alcoholism and even being a Christian, even a pastor of a church. And she began to reflect on his life story, how he would 
have rather have Jesus than all the silver and the gold. And from those reflections, she would pin a poem that would later become a well-known song in 1939 that has these lyrics, I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. It goes on to say, I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. He's fairer than the lilies of rarest bloom. He's sweeter than honey from out of the comb. He's all that my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and let him lead. Now these are strong sentiments from a pen of a daughter that had undoubtedly watched her father's enslavement at one time to alcoholism. And sure, she had witnessed, no doubt, at different moments in her life when nothing else mattered to her dad than the next drink that he was to have. And perhaps she may have witnessed her family's finances and stability oft times have been offered on the altar, if you will, of his addiction to alcohol. But the actions of her father was just seemed to be a means to the end type, with the end being the next drink or the alcohol that he desired. And so for her as a girl grow up and then see this same man that despised religion and despised wanting anything to do for that matter with the church, stand behind a pulpit, preach to people and share with them the message and the gospel of Christ must have been very impactful to her because that same man at one time that relentlessly held a, a, a bottle, if you will, of his favorite brew in his hand now was gripping the word of God and shared it with others and they found themselves in the audience in similar circumstances and he who once was a drunk may now be speaking to people who are drunks and he's letting them know there is nothing, never anything I've found any better than the Lord Jesus Christ. Before this girl had witnessed her father abandon all and forsake all for the object of his affection. And really, since that time to the present for him, only one thing had changed, and that was the object of his affection. Silver and gold, houses and lands was not his drawing card. Riches and fame, the applause of men, nope, that didn't allure him. The highest of offices, the rarest of creations, a man in nature could not compete with what his spirit hungered for. His spirit hungered for not even the alcohol he once had known. And among all these things, his daughter capsulated the spirit of her father. I'd rather have Jesus than anything. So much amen. And so this morning, that attitude over time, I'd rather have Jesus than anything. anything. Not speaking for him, but speaking for a generation of people that grew up in a moment of time in churches all across America. Little shanties, if you will, that loved God, praised God, worshiped God, adopted the very same attitude in those days that they would rather have the Lord Jesus Christ than anything. But over time, that attitude has become the exception rather than the real. God, in many instances of modern-day America, has become the dependable crutch that people can lean on when they need Him. He has become their good luck charm during moments of uncertainty in their life. He has been their help that they look to only whenever they are in trouble. Hey, man, God is just another tool in their arsenal, see, that they'll just pull out and they'll consult with if they wish to 
or they'll consult with if nothing else they have works for what they are presently faced with. God in today's society has went from the first resort to the last resort. He has went from the name that used to be upon everybody's lips now to be the name that's taken in vain upon everybody's lips. Amen. And as a child, I understand very well, amen, having grown up into in the church, and I'm thankful for that. I remember, I can tell you of countless services, amen, throughout time of being a child laying underneath the pews. I don't know if that really happens much anymore, but a child, because services went real long back then, and as a child, you fell asleep under the pew. And I remember laying underneath the pew, and I cannot tell you, Brother Fred, how many times that I laid there under the pew and I heard people oft times end their testimony throughout my childhood years with these words. I don't know how many times they would say, I don't know what I would do without the Lord. And with that, they were meaning this, and I don't want to find out either. They would stand up and tell how good God's been to them about the food on their table, the clothes on their back, the job, their health, their wealth. And they would say, I don't know what I would do without the Lord. That was just their way of saying, let me tell you, I'd rather have Jesus than anything. I'd rather have the King of glory than anything. When I look back over my life and I see what's been fed into me, I understand it's all came from the hand of the Almighty God. Because people, yeah, because people in that generation, folks, they said, I don't know what I'd do without the Lord because with them, God wasn't a commodity to be traded off somewhere. To them, he wasn't a style or a fashion that was going to go out, if you will, and lose its appeal. God was their life. They were faithful to the house of God. They were faithful to the morals of the word of God. And they understood that the land that they farmed in the 16 plus hours a day that they worked there and the health that they had to have for that all came from God and was maintained by God. And so to them, the phrase of the scripture that says every good and perfect gift comes from above, it's more or was more than a phrase to them. It was a proven truth that had been worked out in their life. They truly understood, as I'm trying to convey this morning, that the Lord was their portion. Someone say amen. So when we turn our attention to our scripture today, for a little history lesson before we get into it, we're reading of Mephibosheth that's coming into David. But to understand the role of Mephibosheth in David's life and vice versa, we got to understand the background just a little. When Saul and Jonathan's lives perished on Mount Gilboa, Mephibosheth being the son of Jonathan, the grandson of Saul, when both of their lives perished on Mount Gilboa, the Bible tells us that Mephibosheth was around five years old and that the nurse that was overseeing him and with him fled because both his father and grandfather, and for that matter, several of his uncles had been taken in death on that mountain and in that battle. And so she is fleeing. And as she is fleeing, she accidentally drops Mephibosheth, causing him, the Bible says, to become lame in both of his feet. And so from the age of five, amen, he has been crippled by a fall that is largely dependent upon others he is for his own welfare, for whatever happens in his life. The Bible says that he was carried to a place called Lodabar. It was a place that was without pasture. He was reared there in the house of Machir. Amen. And evidently he married while he was there, had a son while he was there. And after David became king, after Saul is dead, and David eventually becomes king. David has fought a lot of enemies, a lot of battles. He's trying to get rest for the land. And when he finally comes to that place, he has a little season of rest. The Bible says that David remembered the covenant that he made with Jonathan 
Mephibosheth's father. And the covenant that he made with Jonathan, there was love unlike any other between two individuals. They were chums. They were friends. They, they, they were comrades, David and Jonathan was. They looked out for each other's back. And basically the covenant and the vow that they had made with one another is that they would look after each other's family. If one ever preceded the other in death, they would make sure that they would show kindness and tenderness to the members of their family. And so here's David, all of this coming back to him, rushing in his mind. Jonathan's dead. He's, he's got some peace now around about him with the enemies of Israel, took care of them. And now he's remembering, oh yes, I got a vow and a covenant that I made with Jonathan. I need to be kind to his family. I need to be kind to the members of his household. And he's wondering within himself, is there any, after all this war and all this destruction, is there even anybody left? that I can show kindness to? Is there anybody left that I can show love and affection to? He, so he asked the question of people that's within his entourage. Is there anybody left of the house of Saul? Is there anybody left of the family of Jonathan that I can show kindness to? And the Bible says, Ziba, who had been a servant of Saul's, uh, spoke up and told him that there was one that remained and his name was Mephibosheth. And by the way, David didn't ask for this. I guess Ziba thought it was important. And by the way he's lame in both his feet David says where is this individual at he said he's in Lodabar he's in a place without pasture and he's lame in both of his feet and he says well I want you to go get him I want you to go get him Ziba I want you to bring him in here to the court and I want you to have him expediently brought to this place because I got to fulfill my vow and my relationship to the household of Jonathan. And so the story goes like this. You can read it in 2 Samuel 9 and verse 6, and I'll read just a few verses of Scripture. This is Mephibosheth now coming, having been brought to the palace of David. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 9 and 6, Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, thy servant. So understand, as Mephibosheth comes, he's humbled to be in the presence of David. He bows. He assumes a position of a servant. He even says, whenever David says Mephibosheth, he says, I'm your servant, David. I'm your servant. And so he must have been even a little bit of afraid to be in David's presence because the Bible says in the next verse, verse 7, and David said to him, fear not. For I will surely shew thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Now consider here for a moment, folks. Look what has happened here in just a few moments. Amen. At this moment in time, in just a moment of time it would seem, Mephibosheth has went from the house of someone who formerly when he first went was a stranger to now the palace of a king. He has left Lodabar, a place without pasture, now in the presence of a king being restored unto him all of the land that belonged to King Saul. He was at a place without pasture and now he has land that, I mean, would be a vast amount that's fruitful that has the ability to reproduce and cause harvest and fruit to come upon it. It's all given unto him. Now look at verse number 8. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant, that I shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? And then verse 9, Then the king said unto Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertained to Saul and to all his house. Look at verse 10 now. Thou therefore, Ziba, and thy sons, and thy servants. Now Ziba has 15 sons. He has 20 servants. David saying, you, your boys, and your servants, you till the land that I gave to Mephibosheth. All right? So that the master's son may have food. So that Mephibosheth's boy can eat. Yeah. I get this. Yeah. So now all, all, what is that, 36? All 36 of you are going to be servants unto Mephibosheth you're tilling all of this land I've given to him for the purpose of his boy, but Mephibosheth himself will always eat meat at my table, the king's table. 
as one of the king's sons. Everybody say amen. So you see what, how everything's broken down here. A man who seemingly had nothing but a name and a lineage to Jonathan is now brought in. He has land he never had before. He has, he has the presence of the king in the palace, eat at his table as a king's son he never had before. No one ever that we can see in Scripture waited on him, but now he has 36 people at his command as servants unto him that he's never had before. And so with that being said, the Bible goes on in Scripture, and as we follow the Scripture, there comes a point in time that, and I've I got to do all this in order for you to understand what's taking place. There comes a point in time that, that Absalom, David's son, wants to take his throne. And because of this, David doesn't want to put anybody in harm's way. So David and some of the key people of his kingdom leave Jerusalem. And as they are leaving, certain ones meet him as he leaves uh, to provide things for their journey, uh, to give their moral support. And in doing so, in 2 Samuel 16, the Bible says that as David is leaving, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, comes unto David and he has a couple of donkeys with him, the Bible says. Uh, he, he has a couple of donkeys for the king's household to ride on if necessary. He has 200 loaves of bread in his hand, 100 bunches of raisins, and 100 summer fruits. The Bible says he's brought all these things to David for his young men, and he has a bottle of wine for those that become faint in the wilderness. And whenever Ziba comes, Mephibosheth ain't with him. And David's asking, Ziba, where's Mephibosheth? You know, because David understands what he has done for Mephibosheth and the kindness he has shown to Mephibosheth. Ziba, where is Mephibosheth? And Ziba concocts this story and tells him that Mephibosheth has stayed at Jerusalem because he felt like since you're fleeing and Absalom is doing some pursuing, that just perchance the kingdom will fall back. The house of Israel was going to be restored to his father and his legacy and his heritage perhaps it will fall to him today so he stayed home so he could assume the throne room and David took what Ziba said honestly as truth and this is what he said he basically told Ziba and this is important he says Ziba everything that I gave to Mephibosheth all the land of Saul he says in verse 4 of 2 Corinthians 16, he says, all the land of Saul that was Mephibosheth, he says, I now give it to you. All right? So we have a Mephibosheth that had all. Now, because of what has been told, everything's been taken away from him and given to Ziba. That brings us to our scripture setting this morning of 2 Samuel 19. Everything has went down with Absalom. Absalom's now dead. Things are at peace. David can return back to Jerusalem. David is on his way back to Jerusalem. There are some people coming out to meet him because they're glad that the king is returning. One of them or a group of them that return to meet David as he comes back is Mephibosheth, the one that had not went out there whenever he left. And whenever Mephibosheth comes, verse 24 tells us in 2 Samuel 19 that he had not dressed his feet he had not trimmed his beard. He had not washed his clothes since the day that David had left, which were all indications of mourning. They were all indications of somebody that was deeply affected by the absence of somebody that had been gone. And whenever he comes down to meet David, David asked him in verse 25, he said, Mephibosheth, I, I here you are now, but where were you when I was in trouble? Where were you whenever I was going? Where were you whenever I was departing? And Mephibosheth just pipes up and says, I want to tell you something, my Lord. That servant that I have, basically that servant lied on me. He, he deceived me. He slandered me. I, I told him that prepare and ask that I can ride and go with you to go see David off but he collected all the goods took the donkeys I'm left without I have no means and no way to meet you as you was leaving so he has slandered me and he has done this horrible thing he said but 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 David he said you're you're the angel of the Lord that's that that's great words whenever you're dealing with someone that you don't know where you stand with them just start complimenting them David you're an angel of the Lord try it with your wife next time honey you're just an angel 
He says, you, you're an angel of the Lord, he says. He says, you just do whatever's good in your eyes. I, I know right now it's just my word against his word, so on and so forth, but you do whatever is good in your eyes. He says, for that matter, David, when I think about my father's house, he said, we were all like dead men. You hear me? Because the, 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 the history of whenever a new king came on the throne was that he would normally slaughter all the sons of the previous king. That was just common practice. But Mephibosheth says, I, me standing here today, king is a miracle. He said, me standing here today, when all of, all of the brothers that I have and all the other people, it's seeming we were dead men before dead men before you, me just standing here is a miracle. And that you even allowed me to eat. It had been 17 years that Mephibosheth has been in Jerusalem. For 17 years he had been as a king's son at the king's table, eating the dainties of the king's meat. And he says, all these years I have been a servant at your table. And so in reality, David, what more do I got to say? I mean, really, why do I have to say anything? Because my life's been spared and I've been eating at the king's table so you do whatever you want to do and so David said unto him look at this he said we're going to divide the land between you and Ziba now here's the course of events Mephibosheth has all Ziba has all and now we got a 50-50 split between Ziba and Mephibosheth someone's scratching their head but Mephibosheth he's just a lame boy and all this stuff you gotta understand put yourself in David's position right now Everything David is seeing right now is, is suspicious. I mean, he just went through his own son trying to take his throne. I mean, what, what, what would not call somebody that is not a blood relative of that means to try to do something? Everything is suspicion right now. And so David just says, we're going to divide the land between Ziba and between Mephibosheth. And I like what Mephibosheth says. He says, David, go on and let Ziba just take it all. For as much as the Lord the King has come again in peace unto his own house. In other words, Mephibosheth was saying, David, let Ziba take all. Because as long as I've got you here, I have need of nothing else. David, I know I had all the land and then didn't have it all. Now you're trying to give me half. That is just on the edge of, of everything that I'm talking about right now. That you just go and let him have it. He can have the fruit of the land. He can have any other perk as long as I got you. And as long as you're here, I don't need anything. Someone say amen. I don't need anything else. Can someone say glory? You know what that, that boy Mephibosheth was saying? David, before I came into your presence, I didn't have anything. Before I came into your presence, I was in a land without pasture. Before I came into your presence, I, I was everything but a dead man. Before I came into your presence, I, I was a cripple and looked down upon as a cripple. But whenever I came into your presence, yes, I got land. And yes, I got a place at the king's table. And yes, there's a lot of perks that came into my life. But I understand something today David I'm not going after gifts I'm going after the giver I'm not going after all of the perks I'm going after the one that distributes him I'm going after the king he can have it all just give me the king can someone say glory Glory. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so with that being said today we are at a similar juncture as Mephibosheth A similar juncture as Mephibosheth. We were all dead in our sins and our transgressions. We were all accounted as dead men. And we all have certainly been crippled by the fall of the first family in the Garden of Eden. And so we have a very similar story to Mephibosheth. And the king has beckoned us to his presence. And he has lavished things upon us. I don't know about you, but I can begin to count my blessings, name them one by one, of what God has done for me in my short-lived life upon this earth I can trace lines direct lines in my estimation back to the handiwork and the power and the provision of God but ladies and gentlemen I'm here to tell you
you this morning that there is something that I come got to come to terms with that if it's not there tomorrow amen or if it dries up on this sector the next day if I still have him if I still have him if I still have him it doesn't matter what's subtracted or what is added whenever I understand it's not really all about that it's about the Lord being my portion it's about him being my inheritance it's a yes someone say glory You know what Mephibosheth understood? You give him all of the land of King Saul, that's all right. I know you own more land than that. And if you want to, you can give me land further down the road. But that can only take place if I got you. I know I might not eat another military table. But if I got you, you could change your mind and give me another place at the table. In other words, all these other things are peripheral things because they all flow from you. He is my portion. Woo! That's the reason you got to move today. That's the reason that whenever Moses comes back from fighting against the kings that went up against Sodom and Gomorrah, and stole away Lot his family they come back victorious Abraham that is not Moses Abraham comes the king of Salem saying listen here I'll give you some riches some spoils if you just give me the souls of the people that are with you Abraham doesn't move off of his conviction no the things that you got are immaterial to me whatever garments shekels of gold wedges of silver whatever they may be are immaterial to me you're not going we're not making no exchange here Abraham left with that kind of decision and mentality only for the next chapter to open up chapter 15. The Lord is speaking to Abraham and told Abraham, Abraham, fear not, Abraham. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. You know what he was telling Abraham? You got it right, buddy. You got it right, buddy. I don't care what king he is of a vast domain. There's nothing that he can extend to you that's any better than what you got because I am your exceeding great reward. If he says it's houses and lands and riches, he said it will not surpass having me in your corner. It will not surpass having me on your side. I am your exceeding great reward. Now, folks... The Lord was Abraham's portion. The Bible tells us in New Testament Scripture a story that many, if not most, are probably familiar with. And that is, there's two sons. The father has two sons. One comes to him and says, Dad, divide unto us a living. And he does so. And the younger son goes into a far country spends all he has on riotous living finds himself finally when all was spent and gone feeding with the hogs in this faraway land comes to the understanding that his father's servants even have bread enough and to spare I need to go back to my father make myself a servant unto him because I would even fare better as a servant there than a son out here there's, there's a message within itself and so he goes back home. He says all these things. His father is just over, overjoyed to see his son. He says, let's get, let's get a party started. Go, go get the ring. Go get the robe. Put it on, his, put it on his, his, his cloak over his shoulders. Get the new shoes. Put them on his feet. Go get the fatted calf. We're going to kill it. We're going to rejoice and have a party. They're having a party. 
everything is going as it should. Amen. There, he said, this is my, my son that was, was dead, but now he's alive. He didn't know, amen, what had totally happened to him. Here's my son that was dead, but now he is alive. And so they're having a party. And as all this noise is going on, amen, in celebration of the younger son coming home, there's the elder son that's making his way toward the house. And he hears all of the commotion of what's going on here at this particular location. And he even asked someone that's in that area, what in the world is going on? What's happening? What's with the music? What's with the dancing? What's with the celebration? What does all this mean? And one of the servants said, hey, hey, bud, your brother's come home. The father's killed the fatted calf. There's celebration, received him safe and sound. And the Bible says the elder brother was angry. He was angry. And he wouldn't go into where the celebration was. And so his father came out to him to meet him, to entreat him, hey, why don't you come on in? And he spoke to his father and said, Dad, he said, I've been with you these many years and I've served you. I've, I've never transgressed at any time. And you never gave me, look at it, you never gave me a kid, this is verse 29 of Luke 15, that I might make merry with my friends. Is someone hearing me? So the elder son is saying, you never gave me a kid. You never gave me a party. You never gave me a celebration. If I could go on, it's not in the scripture. You never put the ring on my finger. You never gave me the robe around my shoulders. You never put new, you never gave me new shoes for my feet. Right? But he's saying, You've done all of this to the younger son. He's got this, he's got this, he's got this, he's got this. Look at verse number 30. 31, rather. And he said unto him, the father said to this elder son, and he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me. And all that I have is thine. The elder son hadn't quite got the lesson yet over these years. He was saying, I never got that. I never got that. I never got that ring. I never got that, that, this, this. You hearing me? I didn't have the riches. I didn't have the house. I didn't have the wealth. You never gave me all these. He said, son, all these years you've had me. All these years you've had me. What are you trying to get through the elder son's mind? I'm your portion. Daddy's your portion. As long as you have daddy, you got houses. As long as you got daddy, you got rings. And you got a robe. And you got new shoes. And the fatty cat's been available all these years. As long as you got daddy. As long as I'm your portion. Come on, somebody's coming in here with clouded vision today. You're thinking that you've, you've missed out on some perks with God. Well, I never got that. I never received that. He's never done that for me. Honey, when it comes down to this, if you know him, if he's in you, you've had him. If you make him your portion, whatever you have need of, the Bible says it's all in Christ Jesus. As long as you make him his, what his is yours. Right? It's not about the things. It's not about the things. We get mixed up when we get thing mentality rather than person. The whom, the who. Some are going after things. They've made things their portion. God says you need to make me the person. Make me your portion. Because the things are a byproduct of the who. Don't say amen. Because if the Lord is your portion. David understood this. Maybe this struck, maybe this struck a chord with David. Because... See, David in the writing of the Psalms, one psalm that he wrote, Psalms 100 and 142, David wrote. The, the superscript there tells us that David wrote that psalm, Psalm 142, whenever he was in the cave. Probably most notably the cave of Adullam. All of that took place before our scripture text of 2 Samuel 19. David being in the cave of Adullam and was trying to get away as a fugitive from King Saul. And whenever David is writing this, being in the cave, 
He's talking about the trouble that is all around him. He's talking about how his spirit is overwhelmed within him. He talks about how some are trying to, 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 to take advantage of him in the direction that he walked. And he's talking about there are people here and there. And he said there was no man to help him, David said. He said refuge was failing him. No one cared about his soul. No one cared about where he was. But verse 5 says, I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of of the living. David understood something. When I'm overwhelmed and there is no exterior help from any of my brethren, it's in that moment then that I remember and I cry to God and I remember, amen I don't need have to have any exterior help even though I'm feeling overwhelmed. I know that I've made the Lord my portion and that satisfy. Why does that satisfy? Because when you have Jesus, listen to me, I cannot say this enough or emphasize this enough. When you have Jesus Jesus, you have it all. Because David said also in Psalms 18, verses 1 and 2, he says, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. When the Lord is your portion, he is your strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and my, my what is it? He says, and how my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. Other places in scripture says the Lord is my defense. The Lord is my helper. The Lord is my healer. When you make the Lord your portion, he's your strength, your God, your helper, your friend, your God, your instructor, your deliverer. He's the wheel in the middle of the wheel. He's the lily of the valley. He's the rose of Sharon. He's the bright in the morning star. When the Lord is your portion, he's all of that and more unto you. Someone say amen. amen. Consider, if you will, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21. Jeremiah, most notably being the author of Lamentations. Lamentations 3 and verse 21. He says, My soul, verse 21, sorry, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope, or have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because of his compassions fail not. They are new. Every morning, great is thy faithfulness. Jeremiah says, this I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. You've got to understand, the time in which Jeremiah is writing. Jeremiah writes and recalls to mind that there is hope the context in which he is writing and making this statement. He's sitting somewhere in a cave overlooking a destroyed Jerusalem. A destroyed Jerusalem. Completely annihilated. There's the smell of decaying bodies that's filling the air. He sees poor, starving people perhaps picking through the rubble, looking for food. Jeremiah understands that everything he's prophesied about has happened. It's come to pass. He's the weeping prophet here in the cave over the city. He's pondering those that have been lost. Why didn't you listen to me? Why didn't you hear me? Why didn't you give ear to the warnings that I gave? And so it's easy in those type of moments to feel overwhelmed. It's easy in those type of moments to be struck with hopelessness. But it's then the Bible says, though, that he remembered and he looks up undoubtedly. And he set his mind on this fact. The Lord's mercies. The Lord's mercies. If it is of the Lord's, mer Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because of his compassions, we fail not. Jeremiah saying, I am where I am today. I'm able to behold what I'm beholding today because of the Lord. The Lord. 
because I've made him my portion. If you'll stand with me this morning, I'll try to hasten to a close here. Whenever the children of Israel approached Canaan, those 12 tribes, they were going to have a disbursement of the land, certain allotments be given to certain tribes. And so as a result of this, they were divvying it up, surveying it out, what allotment would go to what tribe, what people. And so when God parceled out the land of Canaan among the tribes of Israel, he made an exception in what he was divvying out. Numbers 18 and 20. He had told them before time, Moses and Aaron. He basically told them this in verse 20 of Numbers 18. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, Thou shalt have no inheritance in their land, neither shalt thou have any part among them, the Lord says, because I am thy part and thine inheritance among the children of Israel so Levi, Levites you don't have no land to per se put your feet upon instead while everybody else is receiving these allotments of land they're handing out well it goes from this river over to that yonder border with such and such and down that's yours as all of that's being said to all of these 11 different tribes he says what you got I'm your portion I'm your share in the inheritance because you all are part of the priesthood you all part of the priesthood you're Levites part of the priesthood you you attend to the things that be of God and so your part is me your part is me he said it's not a literal ground of Canaan it's not a river or brook that flows through land I'm your part I'm your share we take that this morning we translate that over to the New Testament Scripture. Where Peter spoke in 2 Peter, and it's not on top of my head, Sister Rhonda, but I think I threw it up there. 2 Peter. It was spoken of in the Scripture. And if I didn't get it to you, that's all right. I think it's 2.18. 2 Peter 2.18, the Bible says, talking concerning those of that day, that we are a peculiar people. Right? That we are a the term in there is royal priesthood. Peter says that's what you all are. Well, just as the priesthood of old, and those that have been born and baptized into the body of the present, he said you are a royal priesthood. What's that telling me? That what's mine, Brother Fred, isn't a thing. It's not a literal piece of land or a certain perk or a little blessing but my portion is him my portion is the Lord because as a spiritual priesthood of this day we're still trying to attend to spiritual things to the master to the king and he is my all in all he is my portion let me tell you something folks the Levites didn't have to feel slighted because they didn't have no land they didn't have to feel slighted because they didn't have no land they didn't have a creek or a riverbed they didn't have to feel slighted because of all that because for them listen to me and I'll close with this it isn't it's not that the world was their portion listen to me very clearly but it was he that made, upholds, and governs the world. That was their portion. And when we understand that, to want something beside him is to really want something of a lesser degree. 
Because rather than having the world, you can have the one who created the world. Rather than, for even that matter, and I know I'm saying this, and I don't want to back up and re, you know, justify everything I say, but instead of the miracle, you can have the one from which the miracle comes. Instead of the healing, instead of the provision, whatever it may be, you can have the one from which it comes. And this is the concept trying to drive in our minds. So the meaning is this. If you have him, that at any point in time, when it's God's will and he chooses, you can have anything else. Whenever the Lord is your portion. But if you just got the land and you don't have him, that's the height, width, and breadth of it. You got the land. But if you got him, there is no height, there is no width, and there is no breadth to what's available when the Lord is your portion. If we bow our heads across this building this morning, I'm standing here today and I'm talking to real people that I know has real needs that contend with real circumstances. And perhaps you're honed in right now on this moment Perhaps you're honed in a little bit like the old elder son and, and of, of the prodigal son, son's father, both of them, their dad. Perhaps you're kind of honed in like him and saying, well, I've never got that or I've never received that. And I, maybe you're in that state of mind right now because you're so focused upon something in particular that you need or something in particular you wish that, that, that would be answered or something and you're just looking at the thing, the item. You're so focused on that. And all you can talk about in prayer or even to yourself and maybe some of your closest friends is man I really need that God wants to change our paradigm this morning to whatever it is that maybe we need that we would say what I really need is him what I really need is him I know there's all kinds of stuff that comes up but when we get the focus right He's been with us all along and we can be with... What I really need is Him. And so I'm talking to people right now that regardless of what your need may be, let your solitary need be this. All you need is Him. And with a hunger that says the Lord is going to be my portion. The Lord is going to be my all in all. The Lord is going to be the focal point. I just challenge you today. Prove God. Just try to prove God today. If what you desire and what you want and need doesn't come to pass. Whenever you make Him your portion. And make Him, amen, the very apple of your eye. These altars are open today. Would there be anybody sitting out here today that says, God... They can just have everything as long as you're here. That they can take this and that, whatever they want. As long as I got you, I'm, I'm good. As long as I got you, I'm good because I understand the dynamic of that. I understand the dynamic of that. Come on, church people, church family. Amen. Guest, amen today. Whoever you may be, these altars. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.